0: All right,
1: friends and family, thank you guys so much for joining Every Day is a Saturday with your host, me, myself, and I, Brian Roof. Hey, guys, I got a very special guest here. He's a United States Marine veteran. He spent two 10 uh, ten and a half years in the Marine Corps. His name is Reggie Villanueva. What's going on, man? How you doing?
0: All right, all right. Thank you for having me, sir.
1: Absolutely, brother. Uh, so let's get to know a little bit about Reggie, man. Let's hear about your... Uh, Marine Corps, uh, you know, venture, what made you join the Marines, uh, all that good stuff. What did you do in the Marines? Let's go. Let's
0: get it. All right. Um, Funny, uh, funny story how that happened. I was um, initially supposed to be an architect major. Um, I met my ex-wife in uh, high school, started going the college route for um, architecture and realized that it was going to be a long journey to start creating some income. So um, I decided to follow my brother-in-law who was already in boot camp and went to boot camp so that I could provide for my family.
1: Um, what year was this <laughs> when you uh, went to boot camp? This was
0: 1996. 1996. Okay. okay. Um, I was a teenager. I mean, I wasn't a delinquent or anything, but... I mean, I had straight A's, honor student. Um, I was supposed to advance two grade levels, and uh, but I chose to stay with my peers. Um, in school, I was doing great. Out of school, I was hanging around the wrong people, and um, you know, I made some bad decisions. Got arrested for vandalism, doing you know graffiti. I was doing a mural, and. Um, <laughs> I uh, ended up getting kicked out. My dad was a police officer at the time. Kicked me out. You know, I was homeless like at 14 years old. And um, a close family friend, um, she's like my big sister. She and her family pretty much took guardianship over me. Um, I straightened up. Graduated at Ontario High School, and uh, from there, I started pursuing architecture, but I realized it was going to be a a long road to even see any type of um, financial stability as an architect. That's where uh, architects were transitioning to AutoCAD. So um, the skill of being able to use the pencil uh, was taken over by the computer. So What took us two weeks, three weeks by pencil, you could do it in five minutes with a computer. So I realized, okay, I need to do something now to provide for my family. And I um, initially went into the Army recruiting office and they they kind of laughed at me, right? I went in there and said, I want to go right now. (laughs) What's your ASVAB? I'm like, what the hell is that? I said, I want to go right now. Well, well, you can't go now. Can you go tomorrow? And so I, I didn't like what the Army was telling me. So I walked across the hallway into the Air Force because uh, I went into the hallway and just started <laughs> bouncing back and forth. Air Force was like, oh, you need to score, blah, blah, blah. You know, I had a shaped head and they were already judging me. So I said, forget it. Um, there was one guy in there and he was wearing. His blue, <laughs> blue uniform, and he had like some sweatpants on. I was like, "Yeah, n- never mind." So I walked across to <laughs> the Navy recruiter, and um, they were getting ready to go to lunch. I was like, "Can I go today, tomorrow, as soon as possible?" And they're like, "Yeah, that's not going to happen." So I walked into the Marine Corps recruiter's uh, office, and Sergeant Jeffries—I still remember him. He's looking at me and he's like, what do you want? I said, I want to go to boot camp now. He's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. I was like, what, what do you mean? This is the last, uh, you know, this is the last straw. I mean, you guys need people, right? And I said, well, how many pull-ups can you do? So I did my pull-ups. I did about 50 something. And he's like, okay, we're going to go outside. You're going to run. I ran it and he was like, Wow, impressive. Did the sit-ups. He's like, okay, let's have you test. So I tested and I scored way above what I was supposed to. I said, Okay, can I go now? He's like, Yeah, you're not going today, you're not going tomorrow. It's we're gonna look at this calendar up here and pick a date, you know, the ship out date. And I was like, All the days are filled up. He's like, Yeah, so it's probably gonna be a, a couple of months or two. I said, I don't have that much time because Mind you, I'm starting to go down this road where uh, money's starting to deplete. Um, I'm hanging around the wrong people. I already know the career in architecture is not gonna happen. So I'm like, I I need to go. So they put me in debt program, the late entry program where, um, you know, you do drill outside in the parking lot, go out, do area canvassing, which was uh, to me a waste of time. But because it was a lot of no's, it was a lot of rejection. And I was like, man, this really starting to discourage me. But I need something to keep me in line and to provide for my family. And, you know, they put up, you know, the tags, they put all the tags and say, put this in the order you want. And I, I remember I only put three of them and I moved the rest of them to the side. I said, those are the only three that are important to me right now. And he looked at me and said, okay family you know education and stability whatever the other tags were, weren't were really important to me so I'm in this delayed entry program I go to the Marriott the Hilton uh, I go to all these hotels where I'm just trying to create a, a paycheck and um, going through back- backgrounds you know, they came up with that arrest for vandalism and I was having a hard time getting jobs and any job that I did get was through the buddy system, like, uh, yeah, go ahead, you know, we'll pay you on their table. That wasn't really doing it for me. So uh, I finally got a break at the double tree in Palm Springs, uh, actually Cathedral City. Got my, I <laughs> got my uniform. I was going to be a, um, what do you call that? Banquet server. And um, I was already dressed up and walking into the Double Doubletree. Uh, back then it was called Desert Princess or whatever in Palm Springs. And uh, Sergeant Jeffrey says, ready to ship out? And I'm like, seriously, I just got a job, man. It's like, well, you can <laughs> ship out tomorrow. I'm like, tomorrow? But I haven't said bye to anyone. He said, well, if you wanted to go uh, you know, within a day, I, I said, okay, no, no problem. I got a job i'll tell them here up here's your uniforms i'm shipping out uh and so i did i ended up going in open contract (laughs) open contract right and so they're like do you have college yes okay so you're gonna get married towards pfc da 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 as long as your credits are good and i was like okay cool i'm gonna go to boot camp come out already promoted that's really good and Sergeant Jeffrey's like, You gotta be an honor grad, you gotta be the honor grad. I'm like, what the hell is that? You graduate Lance Corporal because I'm gonna make you PFC, you know, da da da. I was like, okay. Whatever. I I didn't know what the hell that meant. So I just run faster than everyone. Yeah. They say do pull-ups, do more pull-ups than everyone. Sit-ups, do just do everything better than everyone. I was like, Okay, got it. <laughs> so <laughs> easy um, enough. Right. Yeah. Psh man san diego we're over there at the padre inn I'm like this could be chill we're playing pool and you know everyone's outside smoking and uh they're like okay time to turn it in because the the white bus is coming I, uh what's what's the white bus and mind you i never when i was in delayed entry program i never went to fcrd with the rest of them because i was out there trying to hustle and uh, so I never knew what the process was from the Padre Inn, getting on the white bus. And what happens when you get off the bus, uh, bro, it was a rude awakening, because I, the only person that ever yelled at me was my father. Right. And. Um, wow. <laughs> wow. When I had them drill instructors come on the bus, I was like, oh, damn, what's going on? Yes. And on the yellow footprints. The war's open, and it was, man, it was a blur. Yeah. I've been one of the guys uh, uh, behind the actual receiving drill instructor, just like check them out. I'm like, they're intense. And I'm over there in the in the back of the bus. I'm like, oh, damn. They're lining up, getting on footprints. And uh, it was a blur. It was late at night. I remember it was cold. And they're trying to make us read something on the wall. <laughs> I'm standing on footprints, just kind of looking around. And ja, 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 you know. Journal instructors trying to keep me uh, looking forward. And we were out there for a while. Whatever they were reading up there, I was like, I don't know what this article is. You know, what's an article? And so we go into receiving, dumping everything. That was a blur because I was like holding this little green bag, the you know, <laughs> the money valuable bag. And I was like, damn, they took everything. <laughs> and uh, next, you know, we're, Doing what they call it was watch. I'm like, what the hell is firewatch? Where's the fire at? <laughs> Where's...
1: Yeah, right. they're, they're
0: like, you got next next firewatch. <laughs> I'm like, no, what the hell? There's a fire. And so I went into boot camp just really um, not aware. Uh, you know, I didn't have any knowledge base of <laughs> what Marine Corps I, I was, was a about. lot
1: like you when I went in, man. I mean, you at least went into the delayed entry program. I didn't even go there. So when I got well, in. I was you know I think the, you know what took me by surprise in boot camp is is all the marching that we had to do man. Yeah. I was like in the Marines they march?
0: What the fuck <laughs> is this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um the sleep deprivation, you know, the running and stuff, it wasn't a big deal. What was challenging was being in the last rank. And there was like six of us that were shorter than Every everyone's like towering over us, so everything we had to do was at their their stride. So every step was like three of mine, and I was like, "Man, I'm at a light jog, and they're just marching, right?" And they're like, "Get in step." And they like
1: to they, they like to put them long-legged dudes at the front, you and, know what I mean? Yeah. So all the guys in the back are just tripping and they're trying to keep up with these daddy long-leg dudes.
0: Yeah. Um. So they're like, "Yeah, hey, you're a." you're a road guard you need to put the red lens on because you're a taillight so I'm like I'm what? and so man <laughs> being the short one of the shortest or well there were six of us so I don't know how it, it was always me but I was like damn I got the red lens again I gotta run all the way to the front you know and then the and by the time the platoon passed me I was barely catching my breath and I'm like Yo, you guys got to, you guys got this red lens. I don't want to be the road guard anymore. You're sitting there logging in place while everybody's running by. Yeah. Holding this little light telling people to stop. I'm like, I'm not stopping cars with the
1: moonbeam.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I learned that, oh, road guards or uh, firewatch get to go to early chow and late chow. I was like, oh, hell yeah. This is cool because I don't have to be with the platoon getting yelled at all the time. We could just go march in pairs and, <laughs> go eat and, and, and elude the drill instructors. But nope, there were drill instructors everywhere, everywhere. I was like, there's no way we're going to get away with any type of solitude on, on this base. And uh yeah, that was a rude awakening. My first five days, uh, Black Friday, <laughs> it was crazy. Next thing you know, I'm standing or I'm, yeah, we're standing on the quarter deck you know, sit down, and we're all, you know, uh, knees against each other's backs, and, you know, left hand, left knee, right hand, right knee, and this huge senior drill instructor, it looked like Herman Munster, Um, comes out, Sergeant Hernandez just comes out of this duty hut, and he's like, oh, I'm over-exaggerating, but it was like, like he was almost hitting the ceiling with his uh, campaign <laughs> cover, and I was like, damn, that guy is huge. And he was like a perfect V. I was like, that can't be a real man. He was just huge. And um, had a dip in. And maybe to him, he was just speaking in normal conversational tone, but he was loud when he did that senior drill instructor speech. And I was like, oh shit, what the hell did I just get myself into? And um, he said a speech I seen all three of them go to the position of attention and goes, drill instructors. <laughs> Unleash hell. I was like, oh damn. Um, boo. And Sergeant Gilmer and Sergeant Johnson. That was it. They turned the house upside down, brother. I was like, oh no, what we were carrying racks left and right, put everything on top of the racks. Nothing was on the ground. It was it was just chaos controlled chaos uh boot camp i remember bits and pieces of boot camp if you say something i'll trigger a memory but um it was a blur what it felt like a whole year uh, but it was only three three months man um but it was the best thing that ever happened to me it gave me direction structure it um so you went the-
1: open open contract that at what yeah. point in time did you find out what your MOS was with it when you uh, graduated boot camp? Because uh, you know at that point you didn't oh. find out whether you were going to MCT or whether you were going to SOI, or, or how did that? So work? everyone on open
0: contract, everyone on open contract, when we got to SOI, they said if you're on open contract, go over there. And um, you know, everyone who knows where they're going, all the grunts went to SOI and uh, went to MCT. When I graduated. Golf company. Um, The last day they're telling us, you know, where we're going to uh, MOS school. And so um, they'll be, uh, ah, hell, military police. (laughs) I was like, what are the chances that I'm going to be a military police officer? And I was like, you know, that's just uh, poetic justice, you know having been arrested for um vandalism you know being disobedient to my father and embarrassing him and our family because of that being homeless at the age of 14 and um you know another family having raised me and turning my life around at high school graduation so boot camp was my second pivotal moment in life um it was not the first rude awakening, but it was the second. I was like, whoa, I'm in a different world. This is completely different. I'm, I'm not in charge. I realized that um, I was this small <laughs> in the world, and my opinion didn't matter. It did not matter during those 13 weeks. And so, yeah, um, I was a scribe. I was a guide for a little bit. Because I was one of the shortest, and they're like, You're the guide. And everyone's like, oh. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. So they fired they fired me after, you know, I don't think I made it half a day. <laughs> when I I dropped <laughs> yeah. that guide on stake, I you know, it oh uh. I failed. They, they did it, they did it to yeah. punish the platoon. And so they're like, <laughs> they saw my penmanship and they're like, You're the scribe. <laughs> and I was like, the scribe what the hell is a scribe man i was up late hours writing these tea cards and schedules and everything they wanted written down was in my handwriting and uh chris chris Boyle, he was the other scribe um but we had a system we had a system we we would get it done during like other fire watch or if we we're in class somewhere we'd uh tear off a page and (laughs) we get them done throughout the day so we didn't have to stay up late but yeah being scribe those were the days man (laughs) rude awakening
1: yeah never got Um, to do uh be a scribe but i I definitely was a a squad leader for a, a point in time i started off as squad leader got fired probably about midway through and then they uh re got me as the squad leader like right before graduation but yeah never was a scribe <laughs> but i definitely remember all that stuff man the the little house rat they had the scribe oh yeah the I, was a, I was a house mouse yeah the house mouse they would have yeah, me organize all the
0: mail i remember organizing all the mail in their presence of course um and separate the candy uh, the pictures that girlfriends would send and um, you know, they'd call someone in recruit so-and-so you know they come in and I'd be holding uh, mail that wasn't supposed to uh, be given to them because of you know their girlfriend was sending them naked pictures and stuff and the senior drill instructors like so what scribe house mouse do you think you should get to see these pictures <laughs> he was making me make the decision i'm like yes sir he's like i don't know if <laughs> he get to see it then we all get to see it and you know you'd see whoever it was started to tear like i'm not gonna see it <laughs> recruit you don't get to see your pictures <laughs> and these you know they start tearing in um you know, seeing a drill instructor would do his little magic and be like, okay, you get five minutes to look at all these pictures, but they go in that envelope and you get it, you know, on graduation day or whatever. But I got to see um, drill instructors in a different light, being a scribe in the house mass. Uh, <laughs> the first time I've ever seen um, gentlemen dry sense of humor, saying some really funny, funny-ass shit with a serious face and loud tone of voice and a demeanor that was like, was he kidding? Or was he joking? Was he serious? Because he said it like he was angry, but it was fucking hella funny. And so um, I had a hard time <laughs> trying to distinguish. Uh, I don't know if he's mad or not, but uh, by the end of boot camp, I realized they were just clowns. And everything they had to say was in a demeanor that was structured as uh, authoritarian and um, couldn't show emotion or happiness or pain or whatever. But um, every once in a while, each of, each of the drill instructors, even a senior drill instructor, would, you know, pop a smile real quick because something hella funny happened. Um, but yeah, that was crazy, crazy uh, boot camp was uh very challenging for me i must have quit several times a day um i thought of because i knew how to jump fences and <laughs> i knew how to run faster and uh, i remember i was doing maybe 14 30 um 14 15 minutes on the three miles so i was like i could beat that drill instructor he would never Damn, catch bro. me i'd be i'd be over the fence <laughs> running towards a plane uh. I could see the freeway over there. I'd be gone, and then um, I realized that I wasn't that fast because there were faster drill instructors out there, and um, yeah, I I realized that there was no other way but going through it. And
1: you're going against guys that had done boot camp, you know, more <laughs> yeah. than one time.
0: <laughs> for real, for real, it was crazy, um, but um senior drill instructor sergeant hernandez he had a way of doing them uh senior drill instructor circles and uh just turning it around like and you know they're going home so we're just gonna have a little that's
1: funny my uh my senior was uh staff sergeant hernandez
0: (laughs) oh he wasn't like big like herman munster was he or on the, on no, the he was rotary. kind of
1: tall, but uh, he wasn't no Hermie Munster.
0: <laughs> yeah, this guy was, he made Herman Munster look tiny, bro. He was huge. If I still had the pictures, um, <laughs> I was probably right here to his black belt. That guy was huge and he was like a helicopter mechanic or something like that, but huge teddy bear um, outside of, you know, being in training. He was uh, like a very respectful, compassionate man. Because I remember when I was, I believe that it was Camp Pendleton, or when I was at 29 Palms, I had made contact with him, and he was on the air wing on Camp Pendleton. And he was really cool, really cool guy. I was still afraid to talk to him, though. (laughs) I was still afraid to talk to him. Um, So where did you end up
1: doing... Where did you go to school and all that stuff?
0: Um, Fort McClellan, Alabama.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, and and first what time... was your actual? What was the actual MOS?
0: Military police.
1: Military police and uh, yeah, Marines had uh, to go to what... uh,
0: army base for military police school. Okay. Fort McClellan was uh, where all military police detachments were hosted. It used to be in Texas. Um, I think when I went to military police school, it had left um, whatever Air Force Base or I believe it was the Air Force Base in Texas where uh, military police schools or detachments were hosted and they moved it to Fort McClellan. Uh, I think later on they moved it to Fort Leonardwood um after five or eight years or whatever but um military police school had jumped around so that was crazy because i had never flown all the way across to that side and um i was just wearing my alphas when we arrived uh there was like six feet of snow and i was like damn mind you i I was coming from palm springs california where it's like 120 degrees year round basically or most of the yeah, year and um the cold would get pit. 40 45 yeah so being in a state where it's snowing i was like oh damn pt in the snow everything in the snow i was like and they had to have all the windows open when we slept and i was like this is crazy we're gonna get sick we're gonna get you hungry. were missing
1: california die. real quick
0: <laughs> i'm gonna die <laughs> here. you know it's cold Uh, That was an experience because being out on Liberty, I had never experienced um, what I experienced outside the gates um, being treated uh, differently because, you know, we were from California for one. And then just certain areas, the cab drivers would be like, don't go down this street. I don't go down the street. (laughs) I was like, okay, noted. We don't go down that way um, for reasons we can already um, guess why. And I was like, oh, damn. I didn't realize then that certain organizations still existed. And I was like, wow. You know, going going into yeah, a 7-Eleven, like, hey, can you break 100? And they're like, we don't serve your kind. I was like, it's 100. Wow. And then that manager comes out and says, "Look, we don't serve your kind, and your money don't." Blah blah blah. I was like, as I'm backpedaling out, I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'm sorry, a wrong place." <laughs> and leaving the Seven Eleven, I was like, "Wow, this is crazy. This is crazy." So we kind of hovered around just the outer limits of the base, <laughs> um, and never ventured out too far into Alabama. So um, I wasn't going to challenge it. I was. I was fine with just going and get some. Yeah, they right were old back.
1: school, and, and 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 I imagine yeah. being a California boy, you know, we're yeah. we're used to diversity and, and a lot of that stuff. So yeah. I imagine, you know, for you, you're like, it was like a total culture shock, huh? Yeah, there was
0: four of us. Um, there was four of us, and Andrade, um, man, I can't I can't even remember their names, but the four of us from LA area. Up to like San Diego, and we're like, we're just gonna stick together and come back to the common area where everyone's just playing their guitar, you know, playing handball or whatever, going to the gym.
1: That's funny. He's I had another. That. I had a Sergeant Andrade as a, a drill instructor.
0: <laughs> I had Gunnery Sergeant Andrade in DI school. Yes. Wow, that's that guy would always foam up at the corners of his lips when he was doing his. Um, his instruction, he was one of the meanest men I've ever met. Uh, (laughs) But if you, if you caught him on the sidelines, he was hella funny. And he, uh, I don't know what it was, but that um, drill instructor school was so intimidating during training session. But when you saw them walking from point A to point B, they had huge smiles on their faces. And when they were in front of you, they looked like demons with horns coming out. I was like, Oh man, these guys are human. <laughs> these guys are human, but they had a pain threshold like, like crazy, man. I don't know where they got their energy from. Um, I later learned. So, uh from...
1: how long was it before you actually hit the drill field? Then, uh, how long were you in before you actually decided to be a, be a drill instructor? Because we was that like three, four years already. Uh,
0: let's see, went to Iwakuni, nineties. So 96, 97, 97, 98. Then went through 29 Palms as an MP from then to 2001. So 2001 to 2004, I had picked up Meritorious PFC. Then I picked up Meritorious Lance Corporal at Military Police School. I was an honor graduate. Um, I owe that to Sergeant Castileja. Man, that guy was a mean motherfucker. Um, Always had spit shine boots, pressed camis, and I I ended up being his house mouse. And I realized I was like, oh no shit, this is why he's always looking sharp. He had like 16 sets of camis, six sets of boots that were already spit shine. And I always wondered how the hell does he go in there, come back out, looking sharp, and he had everything prepped already. That was my first. Uh, I kind of want to be a drill instructor too. <laughs> Went to uh, Iwakuni. And I had this CID, yeah, CID investigator who was a former hat was everywhere. He was everywhere, and uh, he had a huge influence on me wanting to become a, a drill instructor. So he's like, "You need to go on a meritorious board." Go on, go on. I never won them in um, Iwakuni. but when I got to Twenty Nine Palms, I just kept going through meritorious promotion boards. And um, 1st Sergeant Carter, 1st Sergeant Carter from Headquarters Battalion, uh, he was a drill instructor. And Staff Sergeant Cruz from Iwakuni prepared me on how to do boards. And so when I went in there, you know, I slammed, slammed, you know, the pine, went in there just like Staff Sergeant Cruz taught me, snap, pop like a drill instructor and First Sergeant Carter goes, get out, do it again. Came back and he goes, That's how you come in and report to a meritorious promotion board. The rest of you, get the fuck out. <laughs> and then had them try to do it the way I was doing it. And I was like, okay, I just set the tone. And everyone's like, You asshole. What are you? <laughs> so I ended up getting Meritorious course. <laughs> and then went to a damn. course. And I was like, damn. Um Started, just kept on going on boards, got a sergeant off of a board and went to sergeant's course. When I went to sergeant's course, I got injured. My, um, We were playing soccer during sergeant's course and someone came to a uh, slide and my foot went 270 degrees uh, clockwise and everybody oh heard God. it. Damn, dude. And it popped oh. and I was looking at my toe pointing that way and my body was facing another way. I was like, oh man, I just got orders to drill instructor school. Damn. Got rushed to the hospital, and the doctor's like, we're going to have to put you on a full body cast. And um, you're going to have to deny them orders. I'm like, oh hell no, I'm not. I said, do I need surgery? No, but you're going to need some time to heal. I said, um, did I break anything, tear anything, da da da? no, you're just gonna need a lot of time to heal. I said, okay, can I sign the, uh, the release form? So I went to drill instructor school with that injury. Um, they gave me 72 hours to empty my current uh, base housing to go straight to San Diego, accept the other base housing, and then immediately go to DI school and report there. So I was I was a clusterfuck reporting it to DI school and um man, it was it was like going to boot camp like I just got off the white bus again. I was like, oh what I do, how did this happen? Where I was pressed for time to I, I moved the entire house by myself. I, I sent my wife and um mm-hmm. my son, who was just a baby, I said, go accept the base housing. I will pack everything up, throw it in the U-Haul, and I'll meet you there in you know four hours or six hours whatever Shit. it took me like 10 hours i was just throwing everything in the u-haul to it out, so i can just get you know give the keys back and go go move but from there drill inst- drill instructor school was um that was a, a life-changing moment in itself too because very very challenging i felt like giving up more times than I did when I went to boot camp the first time, bro. Yeah. DI school was tough.
1: Yeah. I heard, I tough. heard DI school is no joke, man. I, uh, my, the last, uh, <laughs> the last guest I just had Staff Sergeant Cruz, he's an active duty Marine. He, you know, he was in the drill field in the art, the last episode, we just actually talked about drill instructor school with our whole two hours was yeah. almost dedicated to talking about drill instructor school, man. It is it is super intense for you guys. Uh, I can't believe it, and, and and it sounds like you know you guys. If you don't do well during the week, they pull you on the weekends. And man, I, oh yeah, I, uh oh, yeah. I, I definitely <laughs> give my hats off to your workloads. I have uh, utmost respect after them, guys. Man, it, you know, like I when you go through boot camp and stuff like that, you just go through, and then once you graduate, you leave. You know, you, your drill structures typically leave a lasting impression on you. But you don't really think about wow that guy's going to go through like eight more cycles or something you know what I mean and uh, he's not done yet and he's going like to do boot camp again yeah my gosh it, it is unbelievable how much uh, yeah. how many times a drill instructor's got to go through boot camp it uh,
0: it was one of the best experiences of my life it contributed to my survival when I was homeless and uh, went through several other um, personal adversities in my life. Uh, the Marine Corps alone can have a huge impact on someone, no doubt. Being a Marine Corps drill instructor, military police officer, having seen death um, up front at 19, 20 years old. As a PFC Lance Corporal military police officer, death, right? Uh, not even in combat, but like suicides on 29 pumps were just skyrocketing. Um, domestic violence where you know, knives and guns and just terrible beatings and things that happened to um children and and women, just as a, a military police officer was Um, doing something to my mind and then going to drill instructor school uh, that had a a different (laughs) a different impact on my mind and my heart and will the will to to survive in drill instructor school mentally physically and right here uh, definitely will challenge any man or woman I don't care I don't give a fuck how tough you are the mission is attrition If they cannot break you, we do not continue. (laughs) We do not continue until we all break. And that's when training starts. Right. And we, and you know, there's always that 1%, that 5% or the 3% that will absolutely not want to break. And um, everyone has a breaking point. And mine was several times a day, (laughs) several times a day, trying to stay up, uh, keep up with the um, the assignments, trying to memorize everything, um, maintaining uniform composure, um, keeping a positive mental And attitude. and, and
1: why you're why you're in drone instructor school? You did have a wife and a, a kid too, right?
0: Yes, yes. That, so that was even a, that's harder. a whole
1: challenge within itself, man. Right?
0: Yeah, knowing yeah, they all were only a kid. ten minutes away.
1: Yeah, uh, how old was your kid uh, at the that time? time?
0: let me see. Uh, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, or two thousand ones. Four going on five, and then my daughter, um, or Isaiah, when we had Messiah is ninety six, then Isaiah was at twenty nine palms, and then Maya when we went to San Diego. So I already had three kids by then. Um,
1: oh, shit. and so
0: having them within 10 minutes drive time, I was like, man, they're only 10 minutes away. And here I am spending three months at a time uh, here with the platoon. And maybe I would make it there for 30 minutes or three hours. They would say, hey, come back in six hours. So I'd like, okay, do I stay in the duty hut and sleep, catch up on work, press my uniforms, or do I go home and do what I would do in the duty hut at home and uh, thank God, my wife. <laughs> at the time, she would help me spit shine, iron, um, while I was listening to, you know, teachbacks. Because I would read my teachbacks, record it, so I could play it, eat, iron, and listen, read, do all that for memorization. And uh, my wife at the time was right there, helping me with everything. And so I'm so grateful to her. She had the toughest three years during DI duty as well, being, you know, home alone with the three kids. And that was tough on her, very tough on her. So, um, man, drill instructor duty was, that helped me look at life in a whole different perspective because everyone west of the Mississippi, um, every type of person came into light Into each of our platoons, I was like, "Wow, Um, everyone's upbringing, culture—you know, um, the way they thought, the way they talked, the way they uh, carried uh, themselves—that was a huge adjustment for me. Learning how to speak to someone and learning how to teach someone—that was—that was was very, very influential." In several moments of my life, um, when I went through adversity, being able to accept people as they were and you know their intellect, their compassion or no compassion, um, I got to see right. that firsthand immediately as a drill instructor, learning how to speak to different types of people with different types of traditions, cultures, and upbringings. So. So uh, once you
1: were awesome yeah I, I i bet man and uh it sounds like it was a huge challenge and, and it sounds like it probably one of your probably uh proudest moments i imagine uh i yes. know when you know when i graduated boot camp and i got my eagle globe and anchor uh i the, the way i felt i, I could only imagine you know becoming a drill instructor you know, it's that feeling has got to be absolutely amazing. And cause I, like you said, you felt like quitting several times through, through the process, uh, there you are at the end, you make it. And I mean, you got to feel like at this point in time, you can do about anything, you know, bust <laughs> through a fucking wall or whatever. Uh, but yeah, you know, I bet you were feeling, you know, feeling like Superman after you, uh, graduated, uh,
0: after I graduated the high school yeah mm, yeah i i felt like a recruit to be honest uh because i feared <laughs> i feared the jays uh the junior drill instructors you know the ones with the holes in their green belts i had the most yeah
1: those guys were the assholes
0: meanest um junior drill instructor walter sergeant walter viscano he made me um quit so many times in my mind and he pushed and pushed course my company was uh and you know i think all companies have a certain personality to it but man he held me to a standard i was like how the hell do you expect me to do this that and this and that in 10 minutes he's like figure it out you're a drill instructor I'm like okay impossible i'm not going to be able to do that he's like you're going to do it <laughs> and i would figure out a way to make it all happen i unbelievable and so we ended up being really good friends um there was this moment where I I snapped at him and um he brought me into the duty hut and he goes did it work I was like yes it fucking worked he goes all right shook my hand he goes we're team now we're team now he's I've been trying to break you man you're hard to break uh and I was like man all you had to do was tell me and I would have broke a long time ago (laughs) But he really pushed me to know that he taught me if you as a drill instructor are not um, having a horrible day, if you are not uncomfortable, then the recruits are comfortable and they're not uh, going out to the fleet uh, mission ready. So I know, in my opinion, Mike company, Mighty Mike, and I'm sure all the other companies and battalions were the same way, we uh, we raise them to a standard and hold them to a standard to where they're on the verge of breaking and when they break and then we start training from there. And so that, you know, being able to chisel a masterpiece basically training Marines was uh, very rewarding. Like um, I thought it was like a, a gift that, you know was given to us to help take boys and make them men and make these men into basically trained Marines where, you know, whatever MOS school they went to is where they started the real training, the real ground pounding shit. And so, yeah. Um, I ended up getting meritorious staff sergeant at uh, DI duty. I had. Received, How many years
1: are you in at this point in time when you um, get the um, staff start?
0: <laughs> I picked up Meritorious staff Sergeant within six six years um and I had a lot of haters gosh
1: damn bro yeah, that is that is super i had quick.
0: staff n c o s telling me for a military police officer it takes about ten to fourteen years to pick up staff n c o and you did it in less than six years. I was like, I owe it to Sergeant Castileja Sergeant Cruz, you know Gunny Becker, you know, all the, you know, Gunner Sergeant um, Parker. Oh my God. You know, Major Aho. you know, everyone who had led me and put me in billets in military police billets. And, you know, I was writing the blotters for the base. Um, I don't know if you know what the blotters are. It's like a base newspaper as a military police officer, you would have to yeah. write the blotters, correct it, and then post it or give it to um, the provost marshal and then post it. But being held to those standards where we are we're correcting the blotters, the newspaper. Like, who does that? Perfection was already expected. And then going to DI school, I'm like, man, you want me to correct the Bible? You know, like, how am I supposed to correct the Bible? Um, and that's the standard you're held to in, as a journal instructor, physically, mentally, you know, um, academically psychologically, you know, don't show pain, don't show love, don't show humor, don't show anything, but be perfect. You know, you cannot have anything in this array, everything has to be perfect. If it's not perfect, then send it back. You know, I was like, holy cow, that kind of trickled on through a lot of um, the areas of my life. And it was good and bad because now here I am raising my children holding my uh, my poor kids. They could not play unless their closets were organized from lightest to darkest short sleeve to, you know, their toys had to be organized before they could do anything. I was like, oh, what am I doing? You know, they're kids. Um, You're creating uh,
1: some OCD guys, man. Yeah, I had to turn the switch (laughs) off
0: like uh yeah yeah these are my kids they're not recruits you know um so i had (laughs) i had we're gonna be doing a
1: dunk on the bunk here kids get your shit ready
0: (laughs) yeah i was i was marching uh the kids and my ex-wife to you know the mall sing cadence and (laughs) uh i would do it on you know as 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 a joke but uh what was very very touching my wife would bring the kids Along the uh, parade deck, lift up the back of the expedition, and they would just. Um, she knew when we would be marching on parade deck, and my kids would be uh, watching us march all over the parade deck. That was um that was awesome. Oh, that's awesome! That's, that's, that's that is awesome. You know how you do yeah. colors in the evening? Yeah, they would they would watch us yeah. do that, and so tr- we tried to super cool. I, I mean, I they bet were. they
1: loved. I bet they loved getting to see that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, Pretty unique, my, uh,
1: pretty unique situation.
0: I know my younger uh, kids, the two, don't have much of a memory of it, but Messiah, Messiah, my oldest, he remembers a lot. He's a police officer now, and he's um, he's on the detail where they're doing honor guard, and so um, that stems from seeing what he saw on the drill field, and so I'm, I'm pretty happy that happened so um from there see um i did four green belt cycles for black belt cycles i received the achievements of the leadership award for um having honor platoons or being on honor platoons um lots of first place um awards for drill and stuff like that um and uh Heck, I even, I even got uh, offered to be the 3rd Battalion Drill Instructor, or Drill Master, and um, I chose to give it to one of the uh, Drill Instructors who just had a lot of ara <laughs> ara. I said, give it to him. And uh, he, he guy. did very well. Yeah, he did very well. He really wanted it, and I saw... You know, Sergeant Fuller, I was like, "Man, take it." And so I went to Third um, Battalion Training Chief spot where I had to um, maintain the drill instructor training and the recruits training. Uh, being able to do that with um, over 150 drill instructors, and you know, at any given time from a thousand to three thousand recruits, that was that was tough. Um, that was a meticulous, a meticulous job. Because not only did I have to monitor training, execute it, and um, you know coordinate with supply, but I also had to do the graduation narrator billet where I was <laughs> I was the voice. And uh, it was tough because hearing my voice just echoing all over the base, I was like, oh man, that's my voice. I had this little kid who was literally (laughs) licking the window as I'm, you know, ladies and gentlemen, you know? And there's this little, he's standing on the chair licking the window and I have this boom mic. I'm like trying to get someone to get this kid, like get him out of my face. He's distracting me. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, please rise for the invocation. And he's like licking the window. I'm like, oh, I'm going to start laughing here. But that was very challenging because it would happen all the time. <laughs> yeah, it happened all the time. Um, or other drill instructors I knew would bring their families into the grandstand and um, you know do something funny, like put their cover on, but have like a little <laughs> note right here, and I'm like, oh man. So I'd be trying to read, trying to read the uh, the program and not um, get distracted. Drill instructor duty from the outside looking in is tough, but when you're in the mix behind the scenes, it is hilarious. So funny seeing drill instructors. What were the there. years
1: that you uh, did uh, DI? Uh, were, what years were uh, when you were a drill instructor?
0: 2001 to 2004. Yeah, I never knew. I could hey, stand dude. Up so, and
1: sleep. so you were probably at the depot when I, I rolled through there. Well, no, two thousand one. Never mind. I I was in there in two thousand. So you uh, drill instructor the year a year later. Um,
0: two thousand one, two thousand four. And when did you go again? I'm sorry, I had to... to. I got
1: out. Uh, I was I was in from two thousand two thousand four. So I went to boot camp in two thousand. Oh, so I just you were still oh, wow. probably in the fleet at that time. What so. what
0: uh, what battalion were you in?
1: I was Alpha Company.
0: Alpha. Man. There were some... Yeah,
1: Senior um, Drill Instructor Staff Sergeant Hernandez Disciplined Through Pain. <laughs> uh,
0: Platoon yeah, 1045.
1: I remember all uh, that stuff,
0: man. They were some... But uh, so numbers. after after
1: you were done with uh, being <laughs> a drill instructor and stuff like that, you, you got sent back into the fleet and you're, you know, now you're Staff NCO and you're back into being on the uh, you know, MP, I got to imagine you, you probably came across some pretty crazy stuff being an MP. You know, I know Marines are crazy as hell. Do you got a good, good, juicy story for us?
0: I do. I do. Um, so I knew I was going to camp Pendleton and they knew I was inbound. And so, you know, I had a welcoming committee at the quarterdeck of, you know, security battalion and they're like oh he's here he's here he's here you know i'm i'm walking up i'm in my office ready to check in i'm like where's the co's office and like, oh it's over there but everyone's at lunch you know just wait till 1300 and you can check in with everyone uh up topside okay no problem i'll stay right here you know i was <laughs> like oh shit so i'm standing right outside the uh watch you know the desk sergeant's area and across here's this one gentleman walking across the parade deck he's got a I believe it was a duke's a duke's hat and he's wearing uh just you know boots and Utes. and he's got his he's got his uh blouse slung over his shoulder and I'm like oh hell no these two staff sergeants who were talking to me kind of did a, an about face and kind of Walked away, I was like, where where are you guys going? Because they already knew I was going to say something. I was like, stop. Take your ass back to your truck. Get in the uniform of the day, and then you can come across this parade deck. Now, you know, I was a little bit more colorful. And so the clock struck one, and I went topside. And I'm parade rest standing in front of the company commanders. Actually, yeah, it was the company commanders and the battalion commanders who were like face to face and uh, <laughs> it was the company commander that was walking across and he goes, Well, it's it's good to have you, staff sergeant. <laughs> we know you're gonna, you know, keep everyone within line and uphold the regulations. I was like, Oh shit. Sir, you're you're you know, not in compliance. You're I could have gave you, you know. what what were those called? Uh, They were like little infractions. You can write people. If you were a staff NCO, NCO, you could write someone. I can't remember what it was, but if you broke some article, you could write someone that was like, I would rather have you go back to your truck and get back in a uniform and then come across it. Little did I know it was a company commander. uh, But yeah, that was was really funny. So everyone from then on kind of stayed away and... um, I had to make up for that because no I, no one was really approaching me. Everyone thought like, shit, this is a drill instructor. He's going to be an asshole. And so what I did was I took the entire platoon on a run, like six mile run up Engineer Hill. And at the top is where I did like a little school circle and just connected with the platoon and um, passed my wisdom. And um, it was no longer, oh, he's a He's a drill instructor. We connected, and so they knew I was there to um, learn from them. And by learning from them, you know, I could lead lead them based on their capabilities and uh, what they knew. So, I truly believe that a leader is nothing um, without his subordinates or a platoon or whatever. Um, they're the ultimate leader, and you're just you're you're like the person in the front that they get to you know put up front there and you represent them based on their knowledge their skills their abilities um and what's in their heart because if you say let's charge that hill and they don't want to you ain't charging the hill that's for sure you know um right you're not doing anything without the love of the platoon and so I learned that real quick. It wasn't all about yelling. It wasn't all about, you know, being authoritarian and um, just demanding. It was about connecting and uh, putting them first, their families first. Um, And mission, mission was great after that. So. Um, All right. So what,
1: what ended up making you want to uh, get out of the Marine Corps and stuff like that? So I saw you said you did 10 and a half years. Um, what yeah. what led you to end up getting out? Did you want to get out?
0: I that's a good question. Uh, there's many parts to that because I had requested to I had requested to go to Afghanistan like seven times, uh, and they denied it because I was mission essential. I was um, the head instructor for the little military police school that we had pushed a uh, training FAPS, uh, Fleet Assistance Program, and putting um, basically trained military police officers out in um, in country. And so they kept denying denying, denying. I was like, man, here I am in charge of the military police department. My brother-in-law, who went to boot camp, I followed him. He left went into a police department and he's like, come to my police department. Was, okay. And so I started the process to go to the police department. And, and, um, what's funny is when I finally got to the point to where, uh, I reached it 90 days early out that got approved. They put my meritorious promotion because I won another board <laughs> to get meritorious gunny. And then my line number came up to get gunner sergeant um, through my line number and then they put the orders to go to afghanistan with a $30,000 bonus and then they put the um honorable discharge form to say pick one i was like really and i i was about to say the colonel's name so i just respectfully chose the um honorable discharge and uh, bid farewell and went to the police department. So that was um, hard for me to do because I thought I was going to be a Sergeant Major. I thought I was going to go all 30, you know? Um, But I had an opportunity. I had learned that um, garrison MPs were going to go to the field side because they're going to bring in uh, DOD police. I was like, oh, my heart is, you know, as a police officer. so. Um, I didn't know much of uh, being a military police officer in the field uh, I was garrisoned the whole time so it was the smartest decision for me because uh, it took me through different uh, achievements in the law enforcement field and um, things happen the way they're supposed to, it's inevitable <laughs> but yeah I went to a police department and um Let's hard. talk about
1: that uh, whole adventure. Uh, being a police officer, um, you know, uh, did you have to go through the academy and 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 do all that stuff?
0: Back uh, to another boot
1: camp again, almost. <laughs>
0: uh, a mixture of boot camp and remember, I had just left the Marine Corps, being the lead instructor of a military police academy. So going to police academy, I, was, I ended up being the class leader, and um, that was difficult because not everyone was operating in the same space. And so I'm a hundred miles per hour in one place, and they're still getting acclimated. So, trying did you to feel like
1: the mil- Did you did you feel like the military police and then stateside police uh, operate kind of the same, or or was there some some significant differences or was it pretty, pretty much mirrored? Whoa,
0: good question. Some basic fundamentals. Yes. Report writing, um, uh, you know, deescalation techniques, self-defense, you know, use of force stuff. Yeah. A lot of that's similar, um, uniform standards, weight standards, um, coming out of being a military police officer where everyone had a height and weight standard and then seeing police officers looking like um <laughs> healthy police officers and unhealthy police officers i was like that's so fair. what's the standard you know and because you're you're expecting everyone to do this one standard but not everyone's capable and so i was like man that's setting everyone up for failure, because you're only as strong as your your weakest man. And so I was like, "Oh, this is going to be rough. This is going to be really rough because we got to run up and down these hills, knowing that not everyone's in shape." I was coming out doing uh, two ninety nine PFTs, three hundred PFTs, and so I was great um, doing all the marching. You know, ended up being the high shooter, being top three in academics. Um, there was one academy instructor who pulled me out of the platoon, shoved me into a room and said, you're making some of us look bad. Slow the fuck down and you're, stop yelling louder than the rest of the instructors. I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> they, threw, they threw me back out there and I just kept yelling louder than the other instructors. They <laughs> kind of shook her head. And um, there was one former drill instructor, he just kind of giggled and he knew what I was doing. I'm like, you're not going to tell me to stop yelling louder than your instructors. You need to yell at your instructors to yell louder than me. And So I, um, I wasn't being disrespectful. I was just doing what I was taught. Yell louder, because that's what they were telling me to do. So, but it, it was a great experience, Police Academy. Um, I ended up going back uh, to... Rio Hondo Police Academy to help um, periodically. So, yeah, that was my experience for So police let's Academy.
1: talk about uh, your whole career in the police force. Uh, how long were you, you know, in the police, police being a police officer and all that stuff?
0: Um, so I was, let me see, 2007, eight, nine, seven, seven years, seven and a half years with that uh, agency um i ended up picking up a handful of billets um being on patrol uh and them knowing my prior experience you know 10 years as a military police officer and you know drill instructor so I, I i had a little bit of um i got a little bit of love because they knew where i was coming from uh but they were still harder on me they still groomed me to be a really good police officer, and I owe that to a handful of very, very um, dedicated police officers that knew their shit and kept me alive. Uh, if it wasn't for them, you know, I could have pulled the last straw several different times. But you know, being self-defense instructor, baton instructor, bike patrol—you um, know—taking on uh, billets for the the chief, you know, shooting range SWAT sniper entry team on the um, SWAT team, um, and then being assigned to uh, a detail with the FBI um, that did high-profile investigations um, that dealt with narcotics um, and everything else that comes with narcotics from. Uh, south of the border all the way all over the nation actually um trying to keep that general and broad because um let me see some of them that i had uh, done investigations on let's see we're at about 10 years some of them should be getting released some of them are spending You know two or three lifetime sentences but some of them should be coming out soon and um for the rest of my life I have to remember even as a military police officer I've put people in jail um I've applied use of force on um you know criminals and they're not all going to stay in jail for a long time and I've I've seen a handful of um uh Criminals that have been released, and I have always been a person that treated everyone with um, dignity and respect. So, um, whether I had my family or my kids with me, they were very res- respectful uh, because I was I was respectful to them during you know my encounters with them. Even bringing them to jail, they would hear, "I'll put the cuffs on" or whatever, um, and they would apologize like, "Hey." Don't feel bad i made my bed i get to lay in it i did the crime i do the time kind of thing and so i learned to treat everyone with dignity and respect as a police officer and if you can't walk down the streets of the city that you swear to defend and you know protect and serve if you can't walk down the street and have conversations then you got to think about how you're uh being a police officer and that always stuck in my mind. Because um, the car is not going to protect you uh, all the time. I was always on graveyard shift. And on graveyard shift, having only six, maybe seven police officers in the city that has over 250,000 you know, in population, um, I knew I was just a pawn in the city. And the city belonged to the citizens. And so um, I knew to treat everyone with dignity and respect. It was their city. And I was just out there doing my best to regulate. Um, so there's a, there's a lot to being a police officer in the city like that, um, in any city. And, and I don't think, and I'll tell you a story. There was this lady who used to complain all the time, complain, complain, complain and no one knew how to make her happy and the boot that i was i was like put her in my car put her in my unit and um you know just have her do a ride-along and in my beat in my area it was um very very um can I say it was a target rich environment for drugs guns gang members Uh, it was a target rich environment for her to see exactly what it was like to be a police officer and by the end of the evening she was in tears wrote a very lengthy apology letter and um, a letter of acknowledgement to the police officers that she had made complaints about and apologized and um, if only citizens who have an opinion about police officers could sit in the passenger seat of a police car and uh, just experience one night, one night, compared to the several years a police officer has to serve um, on or off duty. Because just because you're out of uniform doesn't mean you're not a police officer. They'll still, there are people who will still kill a police officer or harm a police officer, whether or not you're wearing a uniform and or disrespect you or offend you in front of your family or not. Um, there's that type of evil out there. It's tough, very tough.
1: I bet, man. So you said you did it for uh, seven and a half years, and then uh, what happened after seven and a half years?
0: Um, that's a tough one. I'm not sure if I can go over all the details but I went through I went through a all in a congested time frame I went through a divorce um, I lost a, a very good friend my best friend on the SWAT team um, who was killed in the line of duty um, the conversation that we had makes me go back and forth because I had never really taken a vacation um, through the Marine Corps, and uh, for me to be pulled aside by my best friend, he says, "Hey, I'll uh, I'll take your spot, you know, on SWAT team. Handle your divorce. Take care of whatever you got to take care of because you, you need to." You needed to take care of your personal affairs. Um, at the time I was breaching, uh, we were both breaching, and he ended up working um, an entry, you know, got the door open and uh, wasn't able to successfully pull that screen door open and um, was shot with a shotgun Um in the head area neck slash face area and um that was very painful very very painful and that I wasn't there um it could have been me um I had some SWAT team members blaming me for his death because I took vacation and um you know he died in the laundry a lot of people didn't want to talk to me um during that period of time I went through my divorce you know uh, the death of my best friend I was facing some false allegations that took two and a half years two and a half years of trials to um, clear my name and um, my world just crumbled I because of these allegations and the police officer association that didn't protect me didn't defend me like i thought they would the uh, leadership i expected to protect me did not those who knew me you know all my life and were very close to me they turned their backs on me and or kept a distance from me and you know Based on these allegations, I I understood why they made those decisions. Um, The allegations made against me were severe enough that uh, I was almost murdered twice. And uh, there were unreported attempts on my life. And I did not report it. In fear that they would retaliate and try to kill some of my family members. So... The undercover detail that I was in uh, in the capacity that I uh, had to operate involved very dangerous people and so it didn't matter whether I resigned and threw my badge in because um, my association or my leadership didn't defend me. Um, There were still people out there trying to kill me because of these false allegations. It didn't matter where I went. Um, during these two and a half years,
1: are you there? You're good. Yep, you're good.
0: I got uh, during these two and a half years, I there were uh, attempts on my life. And no one, no one would believe me, uh, believe my story had I said it out loud and it probably would have just jeopardized um, a lot more. So it wasn't the only reason why I went homeless, but it was one of the biggest um, contributing factors. Had I continued to stay in and about my family, and I would have jeopardized their lives as well so I was homeless on the streets in fear that anyone I loved or cared about if anyone was with me would um, be in danger because of these accusations and it took two and a half years to clear my name and it was very disappointing because When the judge said, and pulled the mic and said, Mr. Villanueva, on behalf of the Superior Court, the city, da, 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 you can go ahead and create a new life now. Uh, Apologize for wasting two and a half years of your life, basically. And the jury's kind of like, wow. Um, And so without going into details on how that happened, I was then able to start rebuilding my life. Um, It wasn't easy. Uh, It hasn't been easy facing people who closed doors in my face, um, would turn off the lights, close the blinds, and turn off the TV, whispering, like, "Shh, shh, he'll go away. And, you know, all I was doing was asking for a bottle of water um shit i was living under bridges sleeping in trees sleeping in playgrounds i went from living in a house to a trailer a fifth wheel to my truck to a car giving up the car and then um bouncing around couches and then it got to the point to where people were saying you're not welcome here i can't be seen talking to you because of what you're going through and um just stay the fuck away from us is what um a couple of people actually literally said just don't fucking come around here or else i'll <laughs> as they're holding their gun i'm like Yo, i'm family you know why are you holding your gun like all i want is just to take a shower a bottle of water and um i had family and friends doing this to me who i um with a smile, have encountered over the last couple of years, and um, I forgave them. You know, based on what they knew, what they read, what they heard, they passed judgment on me, and it, it happens. Um, what's important about that is I didn't treat them any. Um, I didn't reciprocate. I just. Um, understood where they were coming from and just disappeared for three years on the streets um, where no one can find me so rebuilding my life having all that (laughs) it's never going to disappear I'll never forget it every time I have a application a job application I have to explain it you know if i'm trying to meet a woman i have to explain it i'm trying to meet a new friend and someone who decides oh i'm gonna i'm gonna do a little background check on this guy before you know i let him into our business or our lives or whatever and so i don't just meet someone and say hey my name is reggie i was falsely accused of blah blah blah, blah, blah. that would be ridiculous i would never be able to function in this world. And so um, there's a fine line where or there's a time and place where I have to disclose this information, relive it all and it's not easy. and I do it uh, coming from a place of recovery. you know I was homeless, addicted on drugs, alcohol, surviving what I was decorated and awarded for as a police officer, FBI, undercover uh, awarded for doing certain things uh, during investigations and when I was doing it to survive on the streets you know then it, it was it was frowned upon like you're a disgrace you know when I had to do what I did as a police officer you're awesome <laughs> you're a wonderful police officer or FBI agent but when I did the same very thing, on the streets to survive, I was a piece of shit and people literally spit on me. And, um, you know, they treated me, they treated me like scum, but I never, what do you,
1: what do you say was like the, what do you say was like the turning point for you that made you able to turn it all around and get yourself back off the streets and kind of, uh, pull your life back together? Was it after all the legality stuff was over? Uh, that was kind of the start of your new Um, beginning or
0: well so the trial the two trials ended and i was like okay i told you no one ever believed me and they're like there were a handful of people that never said anything back and um some people said oh i knew you were telling the truth all this time and some just kept their distance uh but to answer your question I tried to get jobs. I went from breaking concrete, pouring concrete, tree cutting, shoveling horseshit 10 hours a day. I did every hard labor job there was available in Las Vegas, scraping gum off the convention floors and everything you could possibly think of, Dishwashing, cook, you name it. I did it, painting curbs, trying to get out of my um, hole and trying to find a job that paid well. It was difficult. I came across some very compassionate um, business owners um, who took me into the landscaping, showed me how to do that. Passed me over to another business owner, a friend who said, here, you're going to do this. And they fed me. They helped me pay off, you know, my court fees. They helped me pay off. a lot they helped me get to church they helped me get my bicycle the bicycle helped me get onto the bus routes and that helped me get a motorcycle that motorcycle helped me get a car <laughs> it helped me get an apartment um, but the day that changed was two and a half weeks i was laying down somewhere off michael michael and I can't remember the street, but I was in front of a liquor store, I had been laying there for maybe two and a half weeks. My hands were crusty, dehydrated, I haven't been eaten. And I realized as the snowflakes were falling on my face, God's not going to let me die. You know, it's not going to let me die. Um, Having faced all the life threatening situations in the Marine Corps, you know, two helicopter crashes, all the life-threatening situations as a police officer on the streets. I realized he's God's not going to let me die. I'm I'm not going to die here. I I could hear my skin like like potato chips. <laughs> so I made my way to the Salvation Army uh, homeless shelter where they helped me get into the VA hospital, get my resources, went through. Every single department that I could get, uh, medication, therapy. um, Everything I could, like recreational therapy, meditation, Tai Chi, painting class. I did whatever I could to be in the VA hospital so I wouldn't be out on the streets. And that entire time I was living in a homeless shelter trying to build my life. And I'll share a picture with you. I'm wearing a suit and tie, suspenders, and I share this picture with everyone because... I was on two and a half years of homelessness going up and down the, the Las Vegas Strip, leaving the homeless shelter, trying to find a job and getting denied because of my uh, criminal background or the the allegations. Um, the I forgot to mention this. Trying to get out to Las Vegas, I got a, a car and... Um, in efforts to find a job and start a new life, uh, purchasing it person, person and, uh, got pulled over cause the license plate was hanging <laughs> and, uh, discovered it was a stolen vehicle. So I spent my first week in Vegas trying to change my life. The first seven days in jail, I had shown all the purchasing papers. I'm like, I bought this and they dismissed it. Um, they dismissed it. And they're like, "I'm like, do I get the car back?" They're like, "No, it's still stolen property." And um, that is the one thing that's keeping me from getting this job. And I, I got all the court documentation, and um, I'm on the verge of getting it, providing all these court documentations to show that, um, you know, the case was dismissed, and you know, there were other things, but breaking out of homelessness, addiction. Um, the key to that was in here and here. Uh, I had to I had to identify why. Because, and just like everyone else who goes to sleep, seeing dead bodies, hearing screams, um, seeing flashes and fire, you know, all our triggers, being able to find a positive state of mind in alignment with, why <laughs> your purpose your heart what makes you stand up and breathe and keep your heart beating uh, that was when you reach a point in your life where you're like why do i want to live hmm. and i had to start with because i deserve it i deserve to be happy i deserve to recreate my life i deserve to become a healthier stronger person and Uh, believe it or not a lot more happened after i broke out of homelessness um like so i discovered my wife it was my kids it was me it was creating a new family being able to find love again uh, a healthier life being able to make you know um the same salary that i was making or more but so I'm, I'm living in this apartment. I'm making good money, working on solar panels, making $25 an hour. So many people have helped me. And uh, this drunk driver smashes into my car. I had been saving for a whole year, smashes into the car. I only been driving it for less than a week and a half. <laughs> I just got the tax for it. Mm. Boom. Drunk driver hit Damn. and run and uh, puts me in a wheelchair. And there I am. Um, suffering having to go through physical therapy and all that with the chiropractors and stuff and lucky for me I had a corporal who flew took care of me within a moment's notice he was there he has his reasons why he came to help me while I was in that wheelchair struggling I have videos of me trying to climb up these stairs but I lost my apartment because I could no longer provide an income to pay for that apartment Back in a homeless shelter. And uh, um, I didn't want to live in a homeless shelter anymore. So I was couch surfing. Everyone who thought I was living in an apartment had no idea. I was living in a homeless shelter, working, appearing on social media like life is grand. But I was living in a homeless shelter, working at, um, you know, the places I was working at. And it wasn't until August of last year where I got this apartment. Um, what helped me was I um, I had very, very great friends who I call angels who were there unconditionally. Family members who have been there unconditionally that helped me maintain a positive mental attitude, state of mind, gave me purpose, unconditional love. Um, no matter how many bad decisions I make, was the contributing factor that gave me like, okay, someone cares. Whether or not they were family um, or who I perceived as family, knowing that someone cared and was looking out for my best interests um, also helped. Reminding me of the person I was, have been and can be. Consistently reminding me, Reggie, Reggie, this is who you are. This is who you can be, and um, that helped me. That helped me get to where I'm at today. And so now I have um, evolved to giving back to others who are um, going through um, mental suffering, PTSD, uh, you know, injuries. That whether it's from combat or, you know, uh, some unforeseen accident or just someone who's stuck, stuck in the dark. Um, what I'm doing right now, you know, life insurance, I'm a full-time um, professional security officer doing private security. And I have uh, a business where I'm promoting mental wellness. Uh, the ultimate business is, um, still in the process, like, and I'll tell you a podcast and um, a business that I'm calling make an impact global. Um, it's going to have a handful of features in there where we are giving back to the world, not just the community, but to the world. Um, and it starts with mental wellness, uh, being in alignment with your brain, your heart, your gut, and um, understanding how that all ties into happiness, sleep, rest, uh, focus, being able to have uh, intellect um, so that you can be productive and it all starts with mental wellness. And so that's my, that's my purpose now. If I could push away from my full-time job and just do that alone, one-on-one life coaching, helping um, just influence, I can't guarantee change. I cannot guarantee change. I've said this in one of my reels. I cannot guarantee it, but I know them well. I can influence it. And I will be right beside you along the way until I, until I hear you say, I got it. And so, um, when someone is able to say, Reggie, I got it from here, man. Um, that is very, very, uh, rewarding for that individual alone. And it's a blessing, um, from God for me to be able to not with a gun, not with a sniper rifle, not with the police car, not with drugs, not with, you know, cartel, not with mafia, not with violence, but with just loving words of empowerment, motivation, uh, reminding people of their own greatness, reminding people of who they are, what they've overcome, and what is still left over to achieve. And some people, uh, are not aware of their blind spots. And so that's where I come in is um, awareness, empowerment, um, from compassion alone and the love of God.
1: And you know what, man, it seems like you'd be perfect for that and a great advocate because you've been through a lot, a lot of different mental health uh, type of deals, you know, uh, divorce, uh, you know, false accusations, homelessness i mean my gosh in in seeing you know death uh many of times i'm sure you know being in the you know a police officer definitely you know it's not a you see some of the worst things in the world i mean i, I can't imagine so oh, I, I mean yeah. i imagine you're in a good place now where you could be a very good advocate yes. to a lot of people and, and you know yes. and uh hope ho- maybe hopefully Uh, pave a you know a ground for them to to get through it a little bit easier Uh, you know going through rough times is never easy at all right
0: no it's not and you know what brian i'm i'm no expert i'm not better than anyone um i'm i'm just you have have you ever seen someone drowning you ever see someone like reaching for a hand and uh, being the one that can pull someone up um, how do I know I'm strong enough to pull this person up? But I will I will fucking try. Uh, if someone's reaching right. out their hand, I'm not going to give you just a little lazy hand. I'm giving you both hands. I will give you everything, even if it pulls me in with you, wherever you are. I will... <laughs> I'm willing to go where you are so we can both walk out together. Uh, I can't guarantee you will walk out with me because... What I can, what I have experienced and what I have seen myself um, persevere through and uh, overcome may not be the same threshold that uh, another person has, but I will, I will go, I'm willing to go there and walk you out of it uh, if you're willing to walk out. That's the number one thing is you have to decide And be humble enough to say, can I have some help? Or can you walk with me? Can you talk with me? Do you mind spending 5, 10, 30 minutes? Just just listen to me. Yeah, I could do that. Sometimes that's all it is, is someone wants to be heard. And um, when you put someone in a corner and no one wants to look at you, spend time with you, listen to you, not even help you brainstorm, try to find a solution, then you like, fuck it then. A lot of people have given up because of that. And so this is where I come in and whoever else wants to join hands with me, like I know what it's like. I, can, uh, I know how to identify certain things and, and say, come on, you don't have to reach out your hand. I'm, I'm giving you mine. I'm giving you my hand. Take both of them if you like. And don't worry about it. I got more people behind me Um, not right now uh, but I will I will and um, even if this entire year I am doing what I'm doing and I save one person and I help one person and that one fucking person is me then I've succeeded but I know that's not true being out there doing what I'm doing is gonna make an impact in the world Uh, and Starting off with Marines, um, there's a brotherhood. There's a <laughs> an unexplainable force of um, camaraderie that says, "What's what are we doing now? You know, what's the mission now? Believe it or not, everyone who's out of service is looking for something to do. Is looking for a purpose to serve our fellow man. And um, we have a society, a government that is making it difficult to survive to just um, receive our benefits that we deserve from being injured and you know PTSD and just cost of living alone, we have uh, uh, you know the economics is difficult for everyone to do what they would like to do. So we have military service members who would love to help but can't because they have to help them- themselves first and can't afford to do so. And so I have resources. It may not be your ideal cup of tea, but it's a start. It's a stepping stone to create income, to create a positive state of mind, to rebuild your heart, your purpose, uh, to get healthy again. I'm going to be right there uh, you know um, you know helping you walk. And then I mean, the doctor told me I'd never run again. <laughs> I, I might be able to walk, but here I am, I'm running. Uh, I'm not in that wheelchair. My cane is here in the corner. I use it sometimes when I do long drives, but everyone's why. If you know why, then how is irrelevant. If you know why you need to live, why you need to do, why your purpose is, then how you do it is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. You won't make it happen. And uh, most of the time, Marines among Marines, camaraderie, Power in numbers, and uh, that's a force to reckon with. And like when everyone's saying, We got you, brother, we're gonna go have a barbecue. You can stay in your fucking room and be sad and whatever because of this, that, the other, or you can come with us. Uh, yeah, we're not active duty, but we're gonna go do some things that Marines do, and that's play music, smile, go fishing, or whatever. Um, it's small steps small baby steps and I'm that's what I'm doing um I have positioned my place strategically if um because I've been in so many different you know departments mental health phys- uh, physical therapy tai chi you know everything to get the mindset right so that you are confident enough to start doing the things that you want to do in your life um, and that's where my one-on-one coaching comes in and that's coming in soon my podcast coming soon my make an impact global business coming soon and um my business with um amare amare meaning love and all the mental wellness physical wellness products that are available um, to someone who is looking for recommendations that is all in place so that when i identify this is why this is why maybe you should you know, here's a recommendation, and um, eventually, someone or many are going to see that opportunity and be like, "Hey, I want to, I want to help people too," because I know, I know a handful of people that are in their cave, for lack of better words, or in their dungeon, just punishing, punishing themselves for the pain they inflicted, the lives they took, the lives they've had in their hands, um, you know. I just had a nightmare last night and I couldn't understand it because I'm very happy right now. I'm a great uh, version of my life right now. And last night I had a dream that confused me. I was on my knees, painfully crying. And I don't know if it was painfully crying because I had killed people or because I was just uh, in a position where I had been holding people who had died. And so I woke up and I was like, oh shit, whoa, you know, where did that come from? Because I'm really in a happy state of mind. And um, someone told me, well, what was your interpretation? And um, now that I think of it, my only explanation for that is I, in my conscience, can't save everyone. Um, I'll die trying. And that was my interpretation. Um, I will do what I can to help. Um, I can't guarantee it. I'll do what I can to influence it. And uh, I'm willing to go there. I'm willing to go where other people don't care to. Other people aren't brave enough or confident enough to help someone. And um, that's what makes me different. Is uh, I, I, I'm willing to go as far deep as possible to help pull a brother or a sister. Military or not. I don't give a fuck if they're military. What branch of service um, they're a child of God and so that's what I'm doing and so my walk with God is um, a lot stronger than having battalions behind me uh, but I think that's what he's doing is placing a battalion of Marines and citizens who are proud of being a citizen um, and are aware that we need to create a happier world uh, to eradicate a lot of the evil out there. So um, will we be able to get rid of all crime, evil? No. But the only thing we can control is creating positive mental attitude and positive minds and loving hearts, healthier bodies. That's what we can control. And so it's an it's a endless battle, but I have a purpose and so some of you out there will as well. So, um, that's where I'm coming from. That's what I'm doing every day.
1: Well, and, uh, I really appreciate it, Reggie. I mean, uh, you have one hell of a story, you know, and I'm glad you took the time to come on here and tell your story to everybody. Tell some of your, share some of your life experiences. Um, I really enjoyed you having you on, man. Um, <laughs> I'm sure we so could probably do opinion. a Thank part you. two of this because we could probably talk forever, <laughs> okay. but uh, I'm not. Oh, I know too much I longer. So <laughs> <lot>. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, man, I like I said, I'm so appreciative of you and everybody watching. uh, Go check out Reggie; he's you know over on uh, TikTok. TikTok. Um, I you know I don't know if you have any other you know what's your yeah, social media platforms and stuff like uh, that.
0: Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Reggie's making an impact. My Facebook, I have two. Uh, I got the Reggie's Making an Impact and uh, Reginald Villanueva for friends and family and um, my business page. But same thing for Instagram. All
1: right. Reggie's Making so, an Impact. Everybody, go yeah. check that out. Reggie, once again, Ural, Super you. Fidelis, right. Marine veteran. All right, brother. Take care, man. All right. Thank
0: you, sir. God bless. next time. Unless you get a he may, have hit the cone. he
1: may have hit the cone on the It looked like the tracer. it looked like it was even with the, uh, the poppers behind it. Okay. Th- they're the same distance. This-